glad to be here tonight. You know, I, the first church I pastored did not have air. Did have it none, zero. And, uh, it, of course, it was in the mountains of West Virginia, so it was a little bit cooler, but it would still get hot. It would still get hot. And one summer, we had Dr. Jack Green, who lived in this area, lived right here in Simpsonville. We had him for a week of revival, and he just got out of the hospital. He'd been sick. So our church, you just have to understand how things was back 42 or three years ago when I pastored that church that we, I mean, there was no air conditioning, no nothing. Well, Brother Green told me, he said, I'll do what I can. He said, if you can get me a fan or try to keep it cool in there. And I thought, well, man, what could we do? So we had a man in our church that run a little country store over in Glen Rogers, West Virginia. Probably nobody in here would know where that is. But anyhow, I went, and his name was Roy. I said, Roy, uh, could we borrow your air conditioner? He had an air conditioner, a window unit that he kept in his store. And he said, uh, yeah. He was a member of our church. He said, yeah. So he brought it over in his truck. We put it in the window right up here by the pulpit and tried to keep the doors closed. And that little window unit was screaming all day to just try to cool it down a little bit. But anyhow, it was decent. I mean, it was, you could make it in there. And Brother Green, he still, I mean, I've never seen anybody sweat when he preached like he did, literally. I mean, he sweat so bad that when he'd walk out from behind the pulpit, water would be dripping out of the end of his tie. I mean, it was just water just poured off of him. And uh, so it was like that that night, even with the air on. So that little town was sort of a mean town where I passed a lot, of, a lot of junk went on that town. So the next night we come back, and we made it through that first night, and the next night we come back, and I went in the church that morning, that next morning, and the air conditioning unit was gone. It was gone out of the wind. And I thought, well, somebody has stole Brother Roy's unit. Somebody's got it. I went, so I said, I'm going to face some music, go tell him. So I got in the car and drove across the mountain to Glen Rogers, walked in, and he's got his little store open and air conditioning's in the window running. And I said, Roy, I said, I wanted to come tell you. I said, man, the air conditioning unit was gone. He said, yeah, you'd have to know him. He said, I come got it. He said, my candy here in the store was melting. <laughs> he said, so you're going to have to figure out something else. So the next night, we melted instead of the candy. But, uh, you know, we, we've got spoiled, haven't we? We're getting air and all that kind of stuff. And like Steve said, I preached in a bunch of tents, a bunch of tent meetings where it was uh, hot, just very hot. And I've even put them up at the church where I'm at now. And we, Many years ago, we used to have Dr. Curtis Hudson to come and preach big days for us and and the first week of May, he came one Sunday and preached, and it was 100 degrees, and we was in a tent. And we had about 700 people under a tent. But let me tell you something. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There was an unbelievable amount of people who got saved, so the heat didn't hinder the word of God. Amen. And uh, tonight, uh, I want you to take your Bible, turn to the book of Judges. 
And I'm going to not be long, and I appreciate Steve asking me to come tonight to preach for you. And it's an honor to be here and to get to be with Steve and Rebecca. And I'm, I'm proud of them. They've, they've done good. You know, Steve was with us, I guess, what, Steve, 14 years, 14, 15 years. Him and Rebecca worked there at the church with our teens that did a super job. And then the Lord uh, put him here. And, uh, you know, when he uh, left, of course, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't like it. I wanted to, for him to stay. But really, you know, they sometimes when God's will is for somebody to do something different, you just, hey, I've always found this out. The best thing to do is go with whatever God's will is. Don't ever, don't ever go again the grain, buddy, because it, it ain't good. And so uh, anyhow, it was God's will, obviously, for them to come here. And what, you've been here, Steve, seven years, seven and a half years. And so it was the will of God. It was the will of God. But uh, they've done good, and the Lord's blessed you here. It's obvious. Look around tonight and see this building full of people and see what the Lord's doing for you here in this place. is wonderful. And, uh, you know, God loves you a lot to put you in this place and to give you the responsibility. You know, where much is given, much is required. There's a lot of people in this area to reach. You got, a, you got a lot of people to reach with the gospel. And uh, so, you know, you're, you, got, you, got a, you got your work cut out for you because this, this place is growing. I mean, from the last time I was here to now, it's just unreal to see the places it's went up and, and uh, buildings and apartments and condos and all that. It's, it's just unreal. So God is... Uh, got you in a great place to reach people with the gospel. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, tonight I'm going to preach something. About every time I've ever preached here, I've preached on soul winning. And that's sort of what I am known for doing. Uh, but tonight I'm just going to give you just a thought that I got a few days ago and I preached it to our folk. And this message right here is a little different. But I promise you tonight, that this will help you if you'll listen to it. It'll, it'll be a blessing to you. Look at Judges chapter number uh, uh, 12. And it says, And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Amnon and did not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into mine hand. And wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and sons uh, among uh, uh, the Manassites. And the Gileadites took passages of Jordan before Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, 
that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? And, it, and if he said nay, then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he, and he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 42,000. Folks, that's a, that's a lot of casualties. 42,000 died. And Jephthah judged Israel six years, and then died Jephthah, the Gileadite, and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Let's pray. And our Heavenly Father, I want to be a blessing. I want to preach tonight, Lord, with your touch upon me tonight. But Lord, may you help me and use me tonight, I pray. Uh, Lord, as you see fit, then help me to say only what ought to be said and say it in the manner in which you'd have me to say it. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you, if you've studied your Bible, know that the book of Judges uh, is right after Moses had died, who led Israel, and then Joshua. Well, then there was a period called the time of the Judges. And it was sort of a different kind of a, a, a time, but God used different people. Uh, and they weren't kings, they were just leaders. For instance, Jephthah here, was sort of an outcast and a person that, and, and a lot of them were people that if you was looking for a leader, you wouldn't pick them. And he was one of those, like Gideon, sort of a cowardly kind of a person, it seemed, but then God used him to win a great victory. Same was true with Jephthah. Jephthah, in a lot of ways, was a great man. And here, uh, he's leading Israelites and the Ammonites come up against them in battle. Well, they, they fought them. And then it said that uh, the Ephraimites came to him uh, and uh, they said to him, uh, why did you not call us when there was a battle? Why didn't you call us? And he said, look, I did call you. And, and the time that I did call you, you didn't come. You didn't help me. That's what it says. So I put my life in my hands. I just went ahead and, and uh, got the men that was with me and we fought. And we didn't, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, uh, we didn't use you because the time we called you didn't come. So they said, we'll burn your house. So they threatened him. Well, so Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with these Ephraimites. Well, of course, God was on Jephthah and they overthrew these Ephraimites where they ran. They scattered and ran. Well, then it said they tried to slip back through the, the, the passages and come back in and just sort of act like they weren't, they weren't Ephraimites. They wanted to just make themselves a part of the thing and just say, hey, well, that didn't work. We're going to forget it. But... Uh, so the borders basically were blocked here. And Jephthah said, I'll tell you what to do. He said, they try to get back in. He said, one way for sure that you'll know, he said, is you get them to pronounce the word shibboleth. You see it there in verse number six? Shibboleth. I guess I'm saying that right. I think I am. 
Because if you, you mispronounce that, it'll get you killed for sure. Amen? So, so some of them, and, and this man comes up, and they ask him, can you pronounce the word shibboleth? And when he did, look what it says in verse 6. And he said, sibboleth. Do you see that? He left the H out. He said, sibboleth. And because of it, there was 42,000 of these Ephraimites killed because he could not frame to pronounce a word right. Did you know that during World War II, that actually during the Second World War, there were Germans who got, uh, in the last part of it, there were Germans who killed a bunch of American troops and got uniforms and actually tried to uh, infiltrate the American lines and stuff by being... Uh, by wearing their uniforms and, and learning the lingo stuff. But do you know that some of the same things happened, that when they would catch them, they'd have words for them to say that the Germans could not pronounce. And it was a dead giveaway. Well, that's exactly what happened right here. He said, can you say the word shibboleth? And the man, when he pronounced it here, verse number six said, shibboleth. So 42,000 people died because he could not pronounce it right. You know, if, if, dying, if, if, if dying was the cause of mispronouncing words, some of them Old Testament words, I'd have been dead many years ago in the ministry. I've called some of them Old Testament people, I've called them everything trying to pronounce their names. So I'm glad I live in the day I live in. And there's still a lot of words I still can't say right. But if I knew that my life was dependent on it, I'd work on it. I'd work on it, wouldn't you? If I'd stay up all night and keep saying it over and over and over again till it sounds just right, I'd get, that, I'd get those words right that my life depended on it. Well, let me show you something here. You know, there's some words today that's killing us that we can't say. I mean, it's killing us. I guarantee you that in my church and probably in this church, I'd say for sure, and I know for sure in mine, that there's words that people could not frame to pronounce right that caused marital trouble, that caused church trouble, that caused problems where they work. Friendship broke up because they could not frame to put some words together. Let me give you a few of those real quick here. Let me tell you, here's one, and you try to pronounce it. You got to work on it. You have to work on this. But try this. It'll help you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do you know what? There's people who have literally went to divorce courts and married that that would uh, and, and and divorced because somebody couldn't frame to pronounce it right. Couldn't say it. They said, "I'm not saying that. I, I'm not. I'm not. I ain't done anything. I ain't apologizing." But look right here. I wonder how many homes has been destroyed because somebody could not frame 
to say, I'm sorry. You say, what's the problem? The problem is not a speech impediment. The problem is in the heart. Proverbs 13.10 said, look at this. Only by pride cometh contention. I wonder how many friendships is busted up. People that used to hunt together, fish together, play golf together, uh, go places together, friends went to church together and everything over some something that happened that if one or the other, in some cases both, would have said, I'm sorry, it would have straightened every bit of it out. It's amazing. It is amazing. I had a lady last week come in my office, mad as she could be, and she's mad about something that really, to be honest with you, was, was really nothing. It was literally, I couldn't believe she even come in there with it. But you know what it did? I sat and listened to her, and after she got done, I said, I want you to know, I'm very sorry about that. I'm very sorry. I said, I'll take the blame for it. I'm sorry. And you know what? You could hear her every other sentence. You could hear her coming down. By the time she left, you'd have never known there would ever been a problem. You say, did you do anything wrong? No. Well, why did you say I'm sorry? To keep down problems. To keep down a problem. Well, I don't owe them no apology. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm sorry. But that's what I'm trying to tell you. 42,000 died because he could not say it. See, here's what keeps us from ever saying a lot of things we need to say is pride. Hey, there's been revivals break out because somebody said this, sorry. Evangelist Jimmy Clark said he was preaching in a church, preached a week of meetings in a church. And he said in that church was two young men every night that sat over here, young men maybe in their late 20s, early 30s, and back over in this corner, he said, sat an, a man, an older man. And uh, Brother Jimmy hadn't been at that church, but this one meeting had been there preaching, been preaching all week. And he said it, it was going pretty good. The meeting, he said, you could tell we was right on the brink of God doing something. But he said there was something, he said, holding that meeting down. And I could just tell it. And he, and he preached one night, and, and he made himself a big old wooden key a big old key, looked like a skeleton key. And Brother Jimmy preached a message on one night on who has the key. He preached on who has the key. And he said, somebody in this room's the key to revival here. I don't know who you are, but he's preaching along these lines and talking about, you know, people need to get right with one another and that kind of thing. And he said, the last night was supposed to be the last night of the meeting on Friday night. He, he preached that message on who has the key. And he said, this man over in this corner got up and walked around the back of the church and walked all the way over here to two boys sitting over here and just walked over and just throwed his body on top of them, just throwed his arms around them and fell over top of these boys and began to just sob and weep. And then the boys began to just sob. First thing you know, he said all three of them got up and came down here in the altar 
and they're down here on the altar. He said, just weeping. Had their arms around each other, just weeping. And he said, people began to weep. People was crying. And then he said, here come four, five, six more to the altar, and then 10 more. And he said, first thing you know, pews was emptied out. And he said, man, just God just got in that place. He said, all of a sudden, it just broke out. Listen to this. The key was this. This was the daddy of these two boys over here. And they hadn't spoke in two or three or four years. They hadn't even spoke and going to the same church. And the dad got under conviction and got up and went around over here and put his arms around them boys and said, Boys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And them boys stood up and they hugged their daddy and hey, it got on, neighbor. It got on. And listen, that revival broke out and I think he said they went two more weeks because somebody learned how to pronounce it right. See? It ain't our problem that we can't say it. It's that we won't say it. See, pride. I'm, I, I, and, and listen, hey, let me give you, hey, do you know something? That in Genesis chapter 33, you remember old crooked Jacob? Remember him, Jacob, how crooked he was? Stole his brother's uh, birthright in Genesis uh, and how he run. And, and then he saw one, his brother that he stole the birthright, wanted to kill him. Remember that? And uh, he wanted to kill him for it. I mean, he was ready to kill him. And he's running from him. And, and so uh, then Jacob has a prayer meeting at Mahanaham. You remember that? In the 32nd chapter of Genesis, he has that all-night prayer meeting, and he wrestled with, really with the Lord up there. And he said, uh, he, and the angel of the Lord said, turn me loose. And he said, I will not turn you loose. And I think it was the Lord he was wrestling with. And he said, I'll not turn you loose unless you bless me. And he throwed his hip out of joint or broke his hip. You remember that? And, and Jacob walked different the rest of his life. You know why? That prayer meeting uh, with God changed his life. And his name went from Sir Planner or Jacob or Crooked, if you please. It went from that to a prince. Now his name's Israel. Now his name's Israel. And uh, so now... But he still ain't right with his brother. But in the 33rd chapter, if you get right with God, you've got to get right with people. And in the 33rd chapter, it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, uh, and with him 400 men. Can you imagine what he thought? Here comes Esau, that the last time he'd seen him, he crooked him out of his birthright and, and, and done him terrible. And now here he comes riding at full speed with 400 men with him. What would you think? Brother, he'd started dividing his wives and kids up and said, y'all get over here and get ready to go this way and, and, and you get you a group go this way. He, it, it was on. He thought, this is it. They're going to get me right here and look. And he divided the children under Leah, verse number uh, one, and Rachel and uh, under the two handmaids. And he put handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph and the hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. This is great right here. And fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. 
And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given, given thy servant. And the handmaids came near they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And, and, and after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. In other words, he got a big herd of sheep and cattle and oxen and horses and, and gifts and sent them out in front to meet him and servants, to give him as a gift. He said, what did that big uh, uh, caravan that I met of, of animals and servants and all that, he said, that's for me to find grace. I'm giving you that as a gift. And look what he said. He said in verse 9, And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore have I seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Isn't that great right there? You know what Esau did? He forgave Jacob. He came. And he tried to pay him and tried to uh, give him gifts and everything. He said, I have enough. And he hugged him and he kissed him. Amen. Hey, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Folks, there's no sense in families breaking up and churches busting up and having trouble and friendships busting up when somebody can simply say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It goes a long ways. Then let me say this right here. Next thing. It's my fault. That's another one people have a problem with, of just saying, hey, here's my bad. I messed up. And you know, there's some times when you just got to do it. Hey, you remember when Joseph got lied on by Potiphar's wife and he'd done been put in a pit by his brothers and that woman lied on him down there. Remember that in Potiphar's house? And now he's in prison for years. And the butler and the baker that belonged to Pharaoh had a dream. And Joseph interpreted their dreams. He told the baker, the king's going to hang you in about three days. But he told the butler, he said, he's going to reinstate you back to your job. And the butler was so thrilled, he said, I will remember you. I'll remember you. I'll not forget you. But you know what he did? He, was, he got out and everything got to going good. You know what he did? He forgot about Joseph. And one day, Pharaoh ate too much pizza and stayed up too late. <laughs> and buddy, he woke up in the middle of the night with a dream he couldn't do nothing with and he called in his fortune tellers and astrologers and all that crowd, soothsayers, and tried to get them to interpret the dream and they couldn't do anything with it. And listen to what the butler said. Genesis 41.9, he said this, I do remember my fault this day. I do remember my fault this day. Wow, he said, I can't believe I forgot what I promised that boy. He said, you got a man down there in the prison that's the Spirit of God's on him. If you'll bring him out here, he can interpret that dream. And God used that to, get, to promote Joseph over the Food and Drug Administration of Egypt, didn't he? Put him over all of it. And he got promoted to vice president. 
See? He got promoted to vice president of Egypt. And nobody except the, the king Pharaoh himself had more jurisdiction or had more uh, power or authority than Joseph. You know why it was though? You know why it happened? I'll tell you why it happened. He had died in prison, but a man was willing to say, I do remember my fault this day. Hey, you know, if you ever get to the place that you just swallow your pride and say, you know something, I blew it. It's my fault. It's my fault. You know, if politicians would, people would have a lot more grace with them. Instead of trying to act like everything's okay when it ain't okay. Amen. Hey, if things is going south, neighbor, and it's going to the bottom, you probably ought to get up and say, folks, I'm tell you something. I'm sorry. But I am responsible for all of this. And it's my fault. Do you know something? I don't care how sorry a man is. You can have a little bit of compassion or a group of people, whoever it might be. If they said, look, we take the blame, but it almost seems like there's nobody today willing. You know, uh, there's nobody much willing to say, hey, it's my fault. It is. It's not going good, and I take the blame. But if you did, it might save 42,000 people. Hey, if somebody said it's my fault, it might save a nation. If somebody said it's my fault, it might save a church split. I know I'm thinking right now of a church where this preacher and his wife uh, got into it with some members and, and really the only thing it would have took if the pastor would have said, you know what, we were at fault at this. And they were. If he would have just said to these, I, I know some of the people know them. If he would have just said, we apologize, we're sorry, it was our fault. Those people, he had about 50 people walk out. Neighbor, let me tell you something. It's costly. Anytime somebody can't admit things, it's costly. And you can't fix nothing. You're not going to get nothing fixed until you admit you're wrong. When you're wrong, you just got to say, hey, I'm sorry. When it's your fault, you just need to say, it was my fault. I was driving my car one time through Lexington, Brother Hank, on a bus route. And I had a brand new car. And was that two-lane road there? And I had my mind on something else, I guess. Because I have to sleep. I don't know what was wrong. But I changed lanes, and there was a car coming up beside me in my blind spot there, and I drove slap into it. I mean, I drove right into him, tore the horse whole quarter panel out of my car and messed this guy's car up too and I just pulled off, he pulled off he got out and his radiator was steaming there where it got into the you know and man I felt terrible and when he got out of the car I said hey buddy I am sorry it's my fault totally I'm sorry here's what he said I just made the last payment last week <laughs> I said man I'm sorry about it Hey, the, the, he called the police. The police came. Police pulled up and got out. And I said, buddy, there's nothing to investigate here. I said, I changed lanes, didn't see him, and I drove right into it. I had to fix his car. I had to fix mine too. <laughs> hey, there wasn't no use to say, well, you know what? If you'd have been watching what you was doing, you could have probably got away from it. Look, I drove into it. What are you going to say? My fault. 
Totally. There was no fuss. There was no fight. There was no argument. I got a ticket. And went on. Hey, you know, there's sometimes you just got to admit it. You know what it might do? It, 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 it's going to save problems. It's going to save problems. 42,000 people died because a man could not pronounce Shibboleth. They should have sent somebody up else up there and said, hey man, you go up. You talk to him. Can you say that right? Yeah, then you go up there. He ain't going to get it right. Hey, I'd have been afraid to try that one. I'd say, you want to make, you want to listen real good and let me practice in front of you and make sure it's right? You know, sometimes what you ought to do, you probably ought to get in front of a mirror. If you have problems saying, I'm sorry, you might have to get in front of a mirror and say, Looking in the mirror, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I just ain't going to do that. But friend, look, say anything you want to say. But I'm telling you right now, when pride gets in us, and it's in all of us, it's tough to do. Hey, here's another one. Please forgive me. Basically saying, but a little different. You know something, Joseph's brothers, remember that when they had to come down there to get corn? And they were starving to death in Canaan. Canaan's supposed to be the land of flowing with milk and honey where there's abundance. But they were starving and the grass was green and the flowers was blooming and the grain was thick down in Egypt because God was blessing Joseph. So they had to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt to buy corn and when Joseph seen his brothers you know the last time they seen him been years and he was in a pit they'd sold him as a slave remember that well now he's a, he's the vice president of Egypt and he sees them and God says there's your brothers remember he put them in jail and all that and he sent them back finally in that 45th chapter he revealed himself and said I'm Joseph and he hugged them and kissed his brothers and said, is my father alive? And he said, yes. And the king of Pharaoh heard it, so he sent wagons and sent them back and said, go get your dad and go get your family and bring them back. And they brought them down there. Well, then, after Joseph's daddy saw him and saw the grandkids stuff, he died. Well, then his brothers said, that's it now, buddy. He'll get even now. And you know what they said? They said, he'll kill us now. Listen to this. Joseph said, you meant this, you meant this for bad. What you did, you meant for bad. But God meant this for good. He said, I've been in the will of God the whole time. I've been in the place of God as it is this day to save much people alive. In other words, God was right in the middle of every bit of this. Don't you, don't feel bad about that. And you know what he did? He still loved on his brothers because he forgave them. You know what? We want revival and we'll go ask God to forgive us at an altar but sometimes you need to call somebody. You need to go make a phone call or go see somebody. I remember being in Greenville, South Carolina about 35 years ago. Oh, longer than that. Longer than that. And I was over here in a motel room getting ready to go preach and I was on my, uh, on my face praying and I said, dear God, if there's anybody in this world I need to 
get right with or anything I need to do, show me. I want to be totally right. And there was a man's face popped up in my mind. I got up off my knees. There wasn't no use to pray any further. That was back before there was cell phones. And I went to the phone and called the church secretary and had her to call across the country and get a hold of a man that, that I was out of fellowship with him and me. And I called him, hadn't talked to him in a long time, called him, I said, Brother, I'm down here trying to have a revival and preach and get ready to start a meeting tonight. And God showed me I couldn't get right with him until I was right with you. Would you please forgive me? You know what he said? Preacher, you don't owe me no apology. I owe you one. That's how it started then. That's how it went. He said, you, he, said, I, he said, you didn't do me wrong. He said, I did you wrong. And it started like that. You know what it is? But you don't know. It felt like this pulpit got off of my back. And I'm just simply saying tonight, there's some words that's hard to say that you need to learn to say them. Hey, let me give you another real quick and I'm done. I love you. You know, the people you love need to hear it. You know, a man needs to tell his wife he loves her. I've had some of them say, well, I told her when I married her, told her, I told her. That ain't no good. I'm talking about they need to know it now. They need to hear it. Hey, you never know when the other one's going to walk out of the house and that be the last time you ever see them. I know of a man and woman, true story, had a fuss, bad fight and fuss, and he went out the door and was going to work, and she looked out the door and hollered at him and said, I hope you never come back as long as you live. I hope you never come back. He got on his motorcycle that morning and went to work, and about two hours later, she got a telephone call from the hospital asking her could she come to the emergency room at such and such trauma center. When she got there, he was dead. The preacher that was there with them told me, there's members of his church, he said, you could hear her screaming from one end of that hospital to the other. said she jumped up on top of him in that, in that bed and was holding his head up, kissing him, saying, I'm so sorry I did not mean what I said. I didn't mean what I said. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But folks, they need to hear it now. People need to hear it now. They don't need to hear it after they're dead. They need to hear it now. Your kids need to hear it. Your children need to hear that you love them. You say, well, we just ain't like that. Our family ain't like that. Let me tell you something. You can get right with that like you can get right with that like you can about drinking liquor. You can get right with God about that like you can other things. Say, well, what do you do? Get on the altar and ask God to forgive you and then start practicing it. That's what you do. Get on the altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been, never tell him I love you. You know, I'll say this, and I ain't say this because he's sitting here. I'm not saying this because he's sitting here. I'm just telling you the honest truth. I don't think, I don't even know if I've ever talked to Steve. I'm talking about since he's a man. I'm talking about grown man. I don't know that I ever talked to him, ever, when he gets ready to hang up. He'll say, I love you, Dad. Always.
if something was to happen to Steve, I'd, I'd remember that the rest of my life. That he always says to me, I love you, Daddy. You know something? I wish my dad was here now for me to tell him. I wish he was here for me to tell him. I did tell him, but I'm glad I told him. But I wonder who it is that needs to hear you, whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, whether it's your children, whether it's your grandchildren. Hey, whether it's somebody here in this church, you know something? People will stay in a place where they know somebody loves them. If they know they're loved, you need to let people know you love them. You need to let people know you love them. Yeah, they, I, I just ain't like it. But you can get like that. That's what this is about. Somebody may perish because you can't say it. Shibboleth. He could not frame to pronounce it right. I'm glad one day that Jesus could say, for God so loved the world. You know what it is? You can put your name there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He put your name in there. He put my name in there. Aren't you glad he did? Hey, so I wouldn't what? Perish. I'd know God loves me. I wonder how many people's been saved because somebody quoted John 3.16, found out God loved them. But he didn't just, God didn't just love them. He proved he loved them, didn't he? And he told us he loved us. This book right here, hearing his love, not that we love God, but he loved us. What words is it that you need to say? I'm proud of Steve and Rebecca. I'm proud of them. You know, maybe that's one of them, the words. You know, it's just figure out what word is it that would get you killed because you can't say it. Well, it all starts by this, swallowing pride. If you can't get rid of pride, you'll never be able to pronounce it right. It's a sure speech impediment. Pride. Won't let you say what you want to say. Well, he feels it, but he just can't say it. No. No. Shibboleth. He said, Shibboleth. And 42,000 people died. What a tragedy. Because he could not frame to pronounce it right. I wonder who it is in here one day a home will break up because you couldn't pronounce it right. I wonder who it is in here tonight that one day a loved one will die and you, you said, I meant to tell them I loved them. I wonder what person it is here tonight needs to go to somebody, maybe somebody you work with or somebody in this room or a family member and say, hey, I want you to know I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, let me tell you something. When you get to where you can't do it, misery sets in on you. Had a man in our church years ago got mad at me and left for 20 years. 
left our church. He was gone 20 years, and one day my phone rang. Hadn't heard from him in 20 years. Matter of fact, he was in church last Sunday. Talked to him Sunday night. 20 years he's gone. Got mad. I'd see him on the street. I'd see him at the store, see him at a restaurant. He would not speak. I'd say, how you doing? Call him and say, how you doing, Jim? Just turn his head and go the other way. And I, I thought, what in the world? I mean, and I racked my mind. I thought, what have I done to this man? Let me tell you what happened. One day, this man called me and said, I need to talk to you. On the phone, I hadn't talked to him 20, 20 years since he spoke. Called me on my cell phone. I said, okay. I said, where would you like to meet? He said, how about your office? Tomorrow. I said, all right. Next day, we met. And honestly, he was so bitter and angry. And, and I mean, he was that bad that I told the two secretaries whose offices was across the hallway, lock your doors. When he comes in, there, just shut the door and lock them. I said, I don't have any idea what he's got on his mind. It was that bad. He come in, my office, walked in, and had a big old Bible about the size of this and pitched it out in the middle of my desk and said, let's get to it. I thought, oh, brother. I mean, you're going to have to sit here and meet and listen to all this. He sat down, folded his arms, looked straight at me and said, you may not believe this, but I'm a, I'm a saved man. I said, okay. And he said, I have hated you worse than I've ever hated any human being in my life. He said, I've wished you dead. And he, he did. He really, I'm telling you the honest truth what he said. He said, I even thought about catching you somewhere and shooting you or hiring it done. I could have given him some names and some people had done it for nothing. him being one of them. But anyhow, I said, I believe that. And then his chin began to start quivering. He said, I got a boy laying over in the hospital who's dying. And when I get down and pray, he said, the heavens are brass. God let me know he does not want to hear a word. I've got to say until I talk to you. And he said, Pastor, I'm not in here to discuss who's at fault. I'm just in here to ask you, is there any way in the world that you can find it in your heart to forgive me for how I've felt about you and what I've said about you? And he was crying, tears were squirting out of his eyes. And I stood up I said, Jim, come here. And he came over there and I opened my arms up like this and he walked up in my arms and laid his head right there. I've never heard in my life, in my life, I've never heard a man cry like that in my life. Never heard a grown man cry like that in my life. It wasn't coming from up here. It was coming down in here. I've never heard. He was saying, oh God, oh God, forgive me. And then he looked up at me after about two or three minutes and said, can we go out of there into the church altar? We was back over here in the offices. I said, sure. We went there and he got down right here on his, on his hands and knees and was raised both hands up and said, oh God, oh God, please forgive me for how I felt. Oh my God, forgive me. 
Brother, it went on for probably 15 minutes, I'm guessing. I'm over here just basically listening to him. And when he finished, he stood up and he was so out of breath, he couldn't even stand up straight. He was like this, like he'd been running. And then he raised both hands up like this and said, Oh, he said this, he said this feels so good. Oh God, thank you for letting me say what I needed to say today and get this off of me. Oh, Lord, thank you. And he, he walked over to me and just bawling. He said, are you sure you forgive me? I said, you're forgiven. He said, preacher, I can't tell you how happy I am. I feel like I just got saved all over. And folks, I know you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. But he literally, his whole demeanor and looks and everything changed. He literally was transformed for my eyes. He put his arm around my neck and said, Preacher, from here out, it's going to be like old times. He said, I'm right for the first time in 20 years. But isn't it terrible for 20 years to live like that? When all he had to do was just walk and say, Preacher, will you forgive me? It's my fault. I'm sorry. I take the blame. But he couldn't frame to pronounce it right. So he lost 20 years. 20 years. By the way, in the midst of all that, lost his marriage. By the way, in the midst of all that, he lost his children. When you can't frame to pronounce it right, it'll cost you. 